Time to cross the bridge with Mike Bianchi and Mark Daniels on FM 96.9 The Game. Powered by Advent Health. Advent Health, they're sponsoring uh, their Children's Day of Giving on December 14th. It's to help kids in the hospital this holiday season. Your donation stays local, helps cover gas and grocery bills for families with kids undergoing treatment. Great cause. Visit GiveForKidsToday.com. That's GiveForKidsToday.com. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving-themed songs is our theme this week. Remember when the Pittsburgh Pirates had this as their theme song back in the day, Daniels? Yeah, Philadelphia's own group. Yeah, Sister Sledge. (laughs) Is that where they're from? Yeah. I did not know that. Mm. Do they have any other hits? Uh... I, they may have had a couple other disco songs, but nothing that. Nothing like this. Nothing like this. Who was, who was on those great pirate scenes? All I remember is Willie Stargell, Dave Parker, Manny Sangian, Rennie Stennett. Manny Sangian, the catcher. Always swung at the first pitch, Manny Sangian. Yeah. Didn't matter where it was, he'd swing at it. Was Roberto Clemente on those teams, no, or had he Roberto already? Clemente passed. Yeah, I know he passed, but wasn't that long before that, was it? He was on in the nineteen seventy nine. Bill Madlock, remember the Mad Dog, Bill Madlock, Omar Marino. Wow, the great John no. Milner. No, I, I got to stop. What about that? Great carried away here. On what was the pitcher? John Doc Candelario. Bert Blylevin, Bruce Keeson, Don Robinson, Kent DeColvey. Jonathan Daniels. There was no Doc. Was Doc Ellis? Was he Doc pitching? was gone by then. He was well, gone. I didn't. I don't think Doc was. If he was, he didn't pitch long. I, it, it, I don't think Doc. It, he wasn't a factor late. I think Doc may have had a, a couple of appearances, but he was gone. We've been doing Thanksgiving themed stuff today, and you know one of them is you know I went on my you know ham, ham is much better than turkey rant that I do every year. Somebody just said neither. Give me plant based holiday turkey. Oh, get out of here! Good grief! Go eat your dirt. Although, although I will say this, Daniels, it you know it used like I remember George Diaz was telling me this about seven or eight years. Maybe longer than that. He went to his former um, girlfriend's home for Thanksgiving, and they were all vegetarians, and they had something called tofurkey. It was like tofu turkey, and he said it was absolutely Uh awful. Now, though, Daniels, Uh some of this plant-based meat, like Uh these... The the Impossible Burgers, the... uh, What's the other one? The Beyond Burgers... Uh All of that plant-based meat is pretty damn good these Well, days. listen, as someone that is careful of every single thing I put in my body, there are some things you don't mess with, okay? Mm-hmm. And on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. Day, you have a turkey and you have ham. You want to substitute for something else, you go sit outside because they're not hanging out at my table. You got it? Yeah. Yeah. Punk. My mom. <laughs> my mom is. Well, not the person. I'm just saying <laughs> the turkey, maybe. Yeah. 
my mom being the great Italian woman that she was used to make a big, big pot of meatballs on Thanksgiving as well. But but that's mm. a complimentary dish to everything else, though, right? If you want to call it complimentary. No, no, but I mean, you still have like turkey and ham and she had Oh, meatballs. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, you'd still have the, yeah, yeah. you still have the main. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Still have that old dry turkey. One of my, my I told to you. Turkey, well, well, okay. All right, so now you're going to rip my, my dead mom. Thanks. <laughs> you said she had dry <laughs> turkey, not me, Chief. My mom wasn't the best turkey maker. Here's what I do love, Daniels. I've told you this many times. Um, and this became a tradition when I was married, and my, my ex-mother-in-law would make the turkey, and she would all want me and my ex-father-in-law, Ron Rickert, may he rest in peace, we used to, we used to, fight over the turkey skin right when she brought it out of the oven it was nice and crisp that turkey skin and you'd peel it off and eat that turkey skin so moist so good so bad for you filled with cholesterol and fat oh was it good daniels i love the turkey skin do you eat the turkey skin yes (laughs) (laughs) do you like it yeah yeah i do can I tell you a quick story? The first time that, um, yeah. so I'm up in uh, Gainesville as a young cub reporter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they used to, well, not force, but tell the freshmen, guess who's working Thanksgiving for Florida, Florida State? Well, you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, uh, yeah, you guys come over. I'll make a Thanksgiving dinner. They're like, hey, you know, that's awesome, Mark. Thanks. Well, know. the other students? Well, I mean, it's working in radio TV up there, so you know the, the, there were several of us that were working. I was like, "Yeah, I come on over and so forth." And I was like, "Yeah, this is easy," you know. I asked my mom, you know, what I got to do to prepare, and you know, we had some fun. And I forgot to take out the turkey to thaw it, so I go, "Yeah, but we're going to put it in the oven. It's like four hundred degrees. This thing will heat up in no time." God, it's like ten o'clock at that. night. There's still ice falling yeah. off the turkey. <laughs> You guys are at Joe's Deli ordering subs. Yeah, then the second thing outside of not thawing it was, we didn't take the stuff out of the middle. You know, when you buy the turkey, you get to pull out? Yeah. It's like, yeah. what is this thing that burned in here? <laughs> it was embedded in there. Yeah. All right, but now that you've become a gourmet and obviously, um, uh, you know, you cook a lot, you probably have a special type of recipe, some sort of Thanksgiving recipe. That's sort of your own, Daniels? No, I mean, my wife, well, first and foremost, I recommend you get your smoked turkey from Gentry's Barbecue General Store. This Absolutely. <laughs> there you go, cheap plug. Cheap plug. Uh, no, my wife handles that. Uh, side dishes, I mean, we've talked about this before. I think you and I disagree on side dishes. I mean, I love a green bean casserole. Yeah. 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 I like mashed potatoes and gravy. I mean, what I do now is I just don't eat as much as I used to, but I, Mm -hmm. you know, I just don't eat as much portion size as I used to, but I enjoy all the fixings of a a Thanksgiving dinner. You know what I like? I like to have venison and maize on Thanksgiving, just like the pilgrims had back in the day. Although there was a band. Put on some venison and maize right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Frankie Beverly and maize's, like, sister group. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. All right, when we come back, back to sports, I want you to explain to me why UCF only dropped two spots in the college football playoff ranking and why did the college football playoff committee save UCF's season? That is next on The Bridge. 
before Thanksgiving, everybody. Welcome back to The Bridge, brought to you by Advent Health. It's time to feel whole with Advent Health. To learn more, visit adventhealth.com. Daniels, before we get into the UCF lifeline that was thrown to them last night by the College Football Playoff Committee, um, we had Brendan Sinone, our uh, Florida State insider, on earlier. And I was asking him about Mike Norvell. And, you know, I was listening. I don't, I think it might have been ESPNU or something yesterday. I was listening. Somebody threw Mike Norvell's name out for the Auburn job. Again, probably nothing to it. Um, but his name was thrown out there. And I was asking Brendan, I said, Mike Norvell wouldn't leave Florida State for Auburn, would he? And Brendan Sinone essentially said, well, uh, probably not, but Florida State's going to have to ante up, essentially, to keep Mike Norvell if you know if this season continues. Mike Norvell makes, I think, a little over $4 million a year. Billy Napier makes about $7.1 million a year. Mario Cristobal, of course, makes about $8 million a year. Florida State is going to have to ante up, aren't they? Oh, sure. It's just the business of college football. And if right. Mike Norvell and his representatives are smart, that's the business. Um, I mean, you have to do that. Lance Leipold may have turned the rumors of Nebraska into an extension. I mean, he got one in September, and then he just got a, a another extension that runs through the end of the decade. And whether he was in the running for Nebraska or not, he, he that's probably the business of what to do, that he used that uh, for you. And if you're Mike Norvell's people, you have to convince him, that's the businessman. And we have to go do this, and he's not going to do that coming off a six and six year. I mean, if they end up going nine and three and ten and three, that's the time uh, to strike. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I saw this Jordan Travis stat this morning. Did you hear what what his completion percentage is over the last three games? It's very good. He's completing eighty one. Point six percent of his passes. Well, he had the game. It was right. what twenty-one to twenty-three. Yeah, so eighty-one point six percent of his passes over the la- over the three games in November, he has eleven touchdown passes and only nine incompletions in those games. He has more touchdown passes than incompletions. Yeah, played really well. Over the- he has. I might consider him for my Heisman ballot. What do you think? I don't tell the voters what to do. Yeah, but are, are, would you consider oh, you can, him? Uh, look, I mean, you know me. I on my computer, I have no, an Excel spreadsheet, and and uh, he he has continued to make the cut as I go deeper into the year about players that I watch on a week to week basis, and um, his numbers are really good. The thing that might for me is big games that have big impact in a season. Not that he's not winning big games, but. You know, when Florida State lost those three games, now they're just going out to win and get better. I think it's different than somebody that's got a team in the national championship hunt that's going out week to week and performing. I'm not saying he hasn't had a very good season. Like Caleb Williams, that was a Heisman game against oh, yeah. UCLA. He's got another moment against Notre Dame this week and a conference championship game next week. Those are games that his team's fighting to make the college football playoffs. And while I certainly respect what Jordan Travis has done, I think when you do it in those bigger games where your team has that at stake, I, I, I just think it's different. 
even though it wasn't really his fault, do you just immediately eliminate Hendon Hooker because no. Tennessee sort of faltered at the end of the year and he's hurt? No, because I think the body of work before he got hurt warrants him in the discussion. Uh, the moment in the big games that Tennessee had to have, now the Alabama game was a Heisman-type game. Now, mm-hmm. you balance the Georgia game with it as well, but I think his body of work before the injury is every bit as good as some of the other names that people you know are, are putting out there. Like, I've watched Ohio State play a number of games this year. C.J. Stroud's great. I haven't seen a Heisman moment at a C.J. Stroud yet. doesn't mean that I wouldn't I vote for him, but yeah. he has a moment this week. But, I mean, he's put up some big numbers, but when you throw a touchdown pass up four scores, it's not like I'm going, holy smokes. Well, we'll see what happens this week. Last thing before we get to UCF, um, what's your take on the Florida-Florida State game this week in Florida State, depending on where you look, is from a 9 to a 10-point favorite in this game? Yeah, look, Florida State is playing very, very well. I mentioned yesterday, you added today, in a 12-team playoff era, they would actually have an argument for one of the last couple of at-large spots. Um, don't undervalue the quality of the schedule that Florida's played, but Florida State at home, the way they're playing, should win the game. The problem that I have in, in, in trying to figure out how Florida can win is I don't know where they've been consistent. You, know, you watched and an Anthony Richardson plays well a couple of weeks, and you know, the defense lets them down against Vanderbilt. Richardson threw for a lot of yards. I'm not taking anything away, but that was a weird game for Florida where he's now throwing a lot more. He's not been a big run threat of late. So everything tells you that Florida State should win this game, but it's what rivalry games are about, man. You you never know. Yeah, Edgar Thompson mentioned something about Anthony Richardson's running, and he says he he needs to run more. He, He seems to be really tentative when he runs. I'm just wondering... Is is maybe he protect? Is he protecting himself? He might. NFL draft? He, he he. Listen, if Florida loses on Saturday, is a Gator fan going to be shocked if that's Anthony Richardson's last game? No, absolutely not. All right, let's say say goodbye to our listeners in Tallahassee at FM ninety six five The Spear. If you want to keep listening, you know what to do. Just find us on the iHeartRadio app. Search for 96.9 The Game in Orlando. Otherwise, we'll catch you at 6 a.m. bright and early Monday morning. We're off Thursday and Friday. Let's pause for station identification. Okay, I was among the leaders of the doomsdayers after UCF lost to Navy. Daniels said it was the costliest loss in school history. It cost him a chance to host the championship game. Probably even cost him a chance to be in the championship game. And then, lo and behold, last night, the college football playoff committee threw the lifeline to UCF. Only dropped them two spots in the rankings, they went from number 20 to number 22, which means if they beat USF, it looks like they are going to be in the championship game based on the fact that they would be the highest-ranked um, uh, second-place or third-place team. They would be higher-ranked than Houston. They would be higher-ranked than the Tulane-Cincinnati loser, and they're in then, right? Uh, 
if UCF wins, uh, then the Knights are going to play in the conference championship game. If Tulane wins, then Cincinnati will fall out of the poll. And then if UCF wins, you would assume that they're staying in. And those are the two teams. If Cincinnati beats Tulane, you might see UCF have Cincinnati jump them. Um, I don't see the committee saying that Tulane's worthy since UCF beat Tulane, and the committee has shown an uh, emphasis on head-to-head. So that's that's the scenario now that has been placed in front of UCF. Why do you – Kelly, do you have the clip from Boo Corrigan, the college football playoff chairman, when he was asked why did UCF only drop two spots after losing – to a three-win Navy team. Do you have that? Scott's going to find it. Kelly just stepped yeah. out a second. So Okay, uh, well, Scott will find it, and, yeah, we'll play that clip. But, yeah, right, here it is. Still two really good wins over Tulane and over Cincinnati. You know, the, the defense has been strong. The, the 17-14, you know, lost to Navy where Navy controls the ball, right? You, you, you know, it's a different kind of game that, that you're playing in that respect. But, you know, they've, they've had a really good season, Coach, Malzahn's done a really good job, you know, and clearly there's a lot of respect from the committee for UCF to drop two spots. All right, let me speak for Boo Corrigan now. Okay. <laughs> if you read the column at 96ofthegame.com, cheap plug mm-hmm. there, um, I, I explained why I think UCF stayed uh, ranked. Um, and... The metrics have to matter for the committee. Now, people can be screaming about what they're doing with USC and LSU up top, and and that's part of the debate. That's that. I mean, you know, that's what the great Roy Kramer said. The the beauty of what the Bowl Coalition and Alliance and eventual BCS is that you started talking about the game Sunday through Friday. Um, but on the backside of it, when the committee starts looking at at the things that matter, strength of record, strength of schedule, um, game control, some of these things that are not common to college football fans. The three teams in the American are significantly higher than the three teams in the Sun Belt. And then we begin to break down the traffic around UCF, which I wrote about. Look who lost this week. And then the committee doesn't rank 26 through 30, Mike. So you don't know who's 26. They don't tell you that. But if you look at like teams that were receiving votes in the AP poll to get an idea, it it's a number of four-loss teams that have lost like three of four, like Oklahoma State. It's a, a few nine and two Sun Belt teams that don't have any wins against ranked opponents. None. In fact, the only two games that the three Sun Belt teams in Coastal, who's nine and one, Troy and South Alabama, who are nine and two, and they've had really good years. The only two games they've played against teams that are ranked, they lost. South Alabama lost at the end to UCLA in, in a game they could have won, and then Troy lost to Old Miss. As great as Coastal Carolina have been in the last few years, they've no games against a ranked team. Um, and there's nothing on that resume to justify why they would be ranked, where UCF has two ranked wins over Tulane and Cincinnati. Louisville now is ranked. The committee has given them some value. Um, and then you can even compare. For example, and I'm not saying UCF's because Michigan. You know how many opponents Michigan's played that are ranked in the top 25 this year? One. They beat Penn State. And speaking of Penn State, who's ranked? You know how many games they played against teams ranked in the top 25? Two. They lost them both. You know how many games North Carolina's played was ranked in the top 25 of this year? One. They lost it. So when you start looking at teams to be ranked in the resumes, as odd it is because UCF lost Saturday, you can make the argument why they were ranked. Now, Cincinnati may say, well, why are they ranked ahead of us? And look, I think Cincinnati's really good. Cincinnati. 
that's one, but UCF State and three, Cincinnati's nine and two. Cincinnati's big game before the year was against Arkansas. They played really well, lost by a one possession there. Arkansas six and five. There's no other game like last year. Cincinnati had at first the perception of a good Indiana team, and they beat Notre Dame. They were already ranked high, and Cincinnati may very well beat Tulane at home this year, move ahead of UCF uh, this week. But when you look at the resumes, all of a sudden you're like, well, they got to rank 25 teams. And I do think this other thing matters. And while the national people roll their eyes at it, UCF's built the brand over the years. I, I totally agree with that. You're 58 I, and 15 since 2017. And maybe some members on the committee already view Cincinnati and UCF as a Big 12 school, even though they're not playing in the league. Maybe just all the news and all the branding out there. The people on the committee are human. And. and Maybe that's, that's what I was going to say. I mean, yes, the UCF brand, but I also think the Big Twelve brand, yeah, may have may have contributed to this. Yeah, and I and I kidded with you last night. Is this a makeup call by the College Football Playoff Committee for 2017 and 2018? It's it's probably not that, but 2017 and 2018 certainly put UCF on the map and 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 essentially um, kickstart the brand. Think about this. Uh, for the many that nationally hate the 2017 UCF team for all the reasons that they want to hate them, they at least, I think you would agree, they started the dialogue about perception of G5 teams and then backing it up with the year they had in 2018 and then Cincinnati the last few years forced, I think, not just the media but college football committee people to judge them a little bit different. because And it's the first paragraph of my column. Mike, the, the the 2017 UCF team in the same week, meaning after week 12, was 11 and 0, and they were 14th, or 10 and 0, and they were 14th, and then, and then won a conference. Uh, I mean, 11 and 0, and then won a conference championship game to be 12. They were 14th. This is a three-loss UCF team that lost this past week into three and seven Navy, and they dropped two spots. Clearly, the perception among members of the College Football Playoff Committee about G5 teams and UCF has evolved. Absolutely. And we talked about it back when it happened, when Danny White proclaimed UCF national champions on national TV. Uh, it was a bril- it was a brilliant marketing tool. It was a brilliant tool for UCF's branding, and, and, and that played into it as well. Here we are six years later, and that helped. Right. Now, look, they lost the right to host the championship game. So, I mean, you've lost that advantage. And any UCF fan, and certainly players in this team, know it's hard to go to Cincinnati. They're really good. They got a win streak at home there. Um, hard to beat a team twice uh, and then go to Tulane, who I think is re-energized. So if they're fortunate to win Saturday, um, then you'd have a challenge on your hand. But you're now back in a position to do something that 24 hours ago you didn't think was possible. Yeah. So got to go win. All right, so you you study USF a little bit, and obviously UCF should win that game. They're I think they're like twenty point favorites or nineteen and a half point favorites in that game. Um, UCF's one and ten, but they did score some points last week against Tulsa. They have played some close games against pretty good teams this year, including Cincinnati. Is USF a threat at all? Well. I mean, the answer to the question is any rivalry game, uh, you can't guarantee it's going to go the way you want. And all the UCF fan and player needs to remember is last year. I mean, they weren't one in ten, but they—I mean—they were pretty close. 
and they, you know, Timmy McClain now on the UCF roster, almost single-handedly beat UCF, and they're driving late in the game and, you know, play at the goal line to, to, to get a win. So that's all you need to remind yourself about where you were. And now, a year later, I mean, you know, Gus Malzahn of the team said, hey, they remember the Navy game last year. Well, look what happened this past Saturday. So you better be ready. There's nothing to lose for South Florida. It, it, it's it, it, it's their bowl game. Um, heck, even their interim coach said the team meeting on Sunday is going to be completely different because we're done. And, and there's going to be a new coach and whoever that is. So um, you take nothing for granted. You have to go out and execute. And there's some things that UCF didn't do well this past Saturday that they need to improve on. Otherwise, anything can happen. Now, South Florida, when you look at the work for the season, yeah, there's some games that they hung with some people. Um, they also gave up 48 to Tulsa. They also gave yeah. up 54 to Temple. Um, and they're last in the nation in defense. Now, they're playing freshman quarterback. They played well against Tulsa last week. But, it, look, for UCF, you've been, whether it's a gift or whatever it is, you have to win the game. I mean, you can spin it any way yeah. you want. you got to win the game. Oh, God. Yeah, they better win that game. Um, real quick, so you had you had night talk last night, right? Monday. Oh, Monday. Never mind. I was going to ask you at the had the uh, college football playoff committee rankings come out when you had night talk, but that was Monday night. No, and I I was stunned. I mean, I really was. I watched that. I I, I was sitting there, you know spending far too much time, and I'm not saying I predicted this, but I was trying to measure resumes, and I admit when you're doing that, I'm biased to you. See, I'm like, well, you know, comparing these teams, I guess there's a chance. And I was just hoping for 25. And uh, w- w- when that came out, I was, wow. I mean, just wow. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, it, it, saved the se- it saved the season, is what it did. Right? It, it, it has changed Yes, everything. Uh, I mean, now you're back in a position. Again, you lost the ability of hosting the game. UCF's never won a conference title game. They're only once they played at Tulsa and lost. The others have been at home. But you got to, you know, got to win Saturday, and then you worry about next week, next week. But you, you got to win Saturday. And uh, and yes, because of where rankings are now, and with Tennessee likely out of the playoff mix, and you begin to see the ladder of, you know, if one SEC team makes the playoff. You know, does LSU likely get sent to the Sugar Bowl? Does Alabama get sent to the Orange Bowl? And would that send a ten and two Tennessee team to Dallas? Mm. We can only hope. <laughs> we can only hope, Daniel. But again, but, you got a lot of work to do. There's eight quarters of football to be played before anybody starts booking tickets anywhere. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. When we come back, I need to play a clip for you. It's almost like on a weekly basis. It's a college football clip of your favorite media personality, and we'll do that mm. next. Oh, yeah. Mike Bianchi's going to sing here. Little Carl... Carlton? Everlasting love? Come on, Mike. Mm. Yeah, that's all. Just do your... Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I need you. Let's just play to the uh, chorus. Michael did the song here. Here it comes, Mike. Mm. Oh, open them up. 
<laughs> oh, you always have my love, baby. Yeah, there you go. Know that. Everlasting. All right, Ever Mike. burning. I'm doing this almost on a weekly basis, okay? So, uh, college football expert Stephen A. Smith uh, had on oh, your friend Paul Feinbaum. Okay. And, of course, it's uh, let's get SEC elite bias as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. So, of course, uh, the target is that awful TCU program. That, oh, God. Right. Really? So I, want you to, I want you to listen to Stephen A., who probably can tell you, you know, what conference TCU's in. But anyway, here's Stephen A. laying the softball up for Paul Feinbaum uh, for this week's uh, college football elitist clip. Very, very that, 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 that's very low. I, I'm going to say this to you. I, the four is the four. Michigan will probably lose to Ohio State. Even if that didn't happen, I got some questions about TCU because of their schedule. I could see USC getting up in there. I could see USC getting up in there. And I got to tell you, if that would have happened, that would be very exciting for college football. That's what I'm looking at. It. What's the possibilities, Paul, of you seeing USC getting up in there? Mm, getting up in there. Uh, very comes. good. Uh, you go. you, you, for those who don't follow this, USC has Notre Dame at home on Saturday night, and then they go to the conference championship game, presumably against Oregon. And, and Tishon and, and, and Molly and, and Stephen A., I think they're going to get past all that. And, and frankly, if they do, I think they deserve a ticket in. And what it really is going to come down to, assuming that TCU continues to win in the Big 12, they have, they have Iowa State in a Big 12 championship game that none, that none, none of us are going to be watching very closely, then, then I think it comes down between Southern Cal and the loser of Michigan and Ohio State. And quite frankly, I would go for Southern Cal right now. Paul, what, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I feel wait, like wait, here you TCU go. is this year's Cincinnati He's not done. without here you go. Cinderella story behind yeah. it. Good point. <laughs> Keyshawn, because they are. Uh, and, and listen, I, I thought they would go down last week, and they won on a last-second field goal against Baylor, which I think has lost three or four games. Uh, I mean, they're a good team, but I, I, I don't want to sound like an elitist here, and I'm sure I will, but I don't, I don't think they could cut it against uh, – the, the, big, the big boys of college football right now. That I mean, they, is they so a lot of good teams, but but nobody great. Uh, if that and, you know, were Oklahoma, Texas, no big deal. If right that now. were Texas, Texas four games uh, from the Big Twelve, Daniels, uh, stop so they're this. They're not going to play another good team, <laughs> and, and I. Yeah. This is driving me crazy. Yeah. First off, I don't know who's banging in the background while Paul's talking. I like that it. was me. Uh, oh, oh, that was you. A- a- and then. Stephen A. not having a clue who USC's playing. He's like, you know, what do you think about USC have a chance? And then Paul's like, they play Notre Dame. He's like, yeah, kind of like, right. Like, so you didn't even know they were playing this weekend. <laughs> and then, yeah, TCU, yeah, you know, they're they're nobody. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. TCU is in a Power 5 league. It's not like, it's not like Oklahoma and Texas aren't still in the league. Just because they're not good this year, TCU has won all of their games in a Power 5 league, and you're talking about leaving them out? Again, if that were Oklahoma winning all these close games, would would it even be a discussion, Daniels? No. No, that's the whole brand bias that exists. And then as much as, and I'm not speaking for you, but I think you agree, you and I don't argue, the SEC is the best football conference in the country. It's usually top-heavy. But the constant view of guys like Paul, like, well, 
I know some of these teams have lost twice, but they're still better than that undefeated team. Like, their right. losses shouldn't matter. And I know Alabama's gotten beat twice late, and, and I wouldn't argue that Alabama's really good, but to just go, I don't care that this team wins every single week the way they're winning. I'm just not impressed. And then, you know, one member of that panel couldn't tell you anything about who plays what, and then Paul just, like, spitting, going, eh, who cares about the Big 12? Nobody cares right. about that. Yeah, well, in a game most of us won't be watching very closely, the Big Twelve championship game. Yeah, just you know, don't don't bother me with your petty little title game and your undefeated team here. Um, and, and listen, the loser of Ohio State, Michigan. If it's a close football game, I'm not saying that they won't have an argument. And let's see what the committee what? does. I, okay, I, I but what know. happens if LSU beats Georgia? I've been asking that for two weeks. I watched the FPI last night say 99% chance that Georgia makes the playoffs. And it may be right, but again, there's enough scenarios. I asked Danny Cannell this yesterday. If LSU beats Georgia by 10 points and USC wins out and the winner of Ohio State Michigan wins out and TCU's undefeated, you're going to put him in over the team that just beat him in a title game? Would you put him in over USC that would have these back-of-the-season wins? Would you put him over 13-0 and TCU and 13-0 and Michigan or Ohio State? So you think George? You think you think if if LSU beats Georgia, you think there's a possibility Georgia gets left out? Again, I'll walk you through this. Ohio State, Michigan winner wins next week in the Big Ten title game. Would you think that they're in at thirteen and zero? Absolutely. Do you believe the TCU at thirteen zero is going to get in? I do. Okay. Um, and then let's say USC beats Notre Dame and Oregon next week. Do you think that the committee at twelve and one with the way their season ended with UCLA, Notre Dame, and Oregon gets in? I would think so. And if LSU just beat Georgia by, say, 10 points, and I'm not quite sure that happens, but let's say it's a 34. 34- what if they beat it by one point? Okay. Then how do you put Georgia in if LSU just beat them in the title game? If you go, well, they had two losses. I was like, okay, but you keep telling me the conference championships matter. How do you just say that game didn't matter? I, I don't know. It's a, good, it's a good point, although Georgia's resume is is probably – Better than, as you just mentioned, Michigan's strength of schedule? Well, don't even get going on that, because like I said, the number of uh, teams ranked that Michigan's played this year in the college football playoff rankings is one. UCF is three. Who's got a better resume? Georgia or if USC wins out, USC? That's the debate. Look, Georgia beat Tennessee. No one questions at the time that that wasn't Mm -hmm. a good win. Mm -hmm. They beat Oregon. Okay, that's the resume. All right, and then LSU would tell you, hey, this is who we beat. We beat Alabama. We beat Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, but you got two losses. Okay, but the committee had us ranked here. I just, I I, I like to who see the LSU's reaction. Other, besides Florida State, who was LSU's other loss to? Um, they got beat by um, uh, Tennessee. They got annihilated by. Uh, and then the, Okay, so, so Florida State and Tennessee? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but their resume so they would bit. say that, that, okay, we lost to Tennessee, we got blown out. We beat Ole Miss by 25, we beat Alabama by one, and we'd have a win against Georgia. And we lost to two really good teams, Florida State and Tennessee. Right, and you can say, well, you know, Georgia never got blown out, uh, and you got blown out by Tennessee. But then it comes back to, we just beat them. Yeah, but you have one more loss. But we just beat them in a conference title game. Now I think Georgia right. would win the game, but... That's why we play the game. And then if you're Michigan-Ohio State, again, let's say they play a 31-30 classic game. The argument then is, 
Well, you just lost. And they say, oh, oh, so we played in September? Then, then the loss won't hurt as much because we played in late November? Fair question. Yeah. I don't think it's a matter when the games are played. Well, in my opinion. That's why, um, and I've said this before last night where the committee certainly favored UCF. Uh, I think I think so many of the college football media just pick on the playoff committee because it's cool to do it and it gets hits on Twitter where I don't think they understand that the committee has so much more access to information than the guy on Twitter that is a member of the college football media that just says, I use the eye test, and I look and compare schedules, which is fine, and you can do that on the committee. But the committee does dive into the metrics not everybody is big on that, but that's the balance of the committee. And after talking to Terry Mahaj the last couple of years and two other people that have sat on that committee and now at least four people that I know in the media that have been in that mock media group that they have, I, I, I think most people yelling on Twitter have no idea what the committee does week in and week out. They have so much more information than you sitting on your iPhone moaning on Twitter. <laughs> Oh, wow. All right, peace, love, boil peanuts. Have a great show, a great Thanksgiving. I'll see you Saturday in Tampa, Mark. All right, Mikey. Uh, it's a Wednesday edition of our program. It's our last show of the week as well. It's got a little bit of Friday flavor to it with some of our Friday guests on today. We'll get to all of that. Uh, stick around. Be a fun Wednesday edition of Beat of Sports next.